This is Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Set up one headman, right to go Kudrop. Score! Patrick Kudrop! Oh, it is a game day here on Lightning Power Play. Greg Linelli, Dave Michigan, Steve Ersnick with you. Tampa Bay, round robin play. Taking on the Washington Capitals. This will be a lot of fun. We'll have John Walton. He's the play-by-play man, radio play-by-play man for the Caps coming up in our next segment. Did you watch a lot of hockey over the weekend? What was it like for you? What did you make of the play that you saw over the weekend? Choppy? Maybe what you expected? Better than you expected. And which series entertained you the most? Hit us up on Twitter, at Greg Linelli, at Dave Michigan, at Bolt Radio. Let me bring in... The man who will be calling the game today on these airwaves, along with Phil Esposito, my good friend, Dave Mishkin. Dave, how are you, and uh, did you take in all of the games over the weekend? I confess not all of the games. Some of the later games are a little past my bedtime, <laughs> which I don't stay What's up that, until... seven o'clock? Yeah, a little bit later than that. <laughs> I did stay up and watch Pittsburgh-Montreal, though. I, oh, I was able to oh. make it... I was able to make it to the end of that game. Good thing it didn't go into a second overtime, yes. I guess. Uh, I have some takeaways that I jotted down following the first two days of play. And I don't know if you just want to dive into these, but yeah, let's, let's get right into it. Okay. Because I, I agree with you. Pittsburgh, Montreal. That's obviously one that I was uh, interested in watching. And, um, I'm sure you have some thoughts on it, but uh, let's let's get into it. Well, so my first impression, and this was stemming probably from watching some of the games on Saturday, how many power play chances there were. Now, this did not stay consistent through the weekend because there were some games that did not have a lot, like Toronto-Columbus last night. I think they combined for three total power plays, power play opportunities. But, you know, we talk about the playoffs and we always hear, you know, they start calling the games differently. There are fewer power play chances. That was not the case in, I would say, a majority of the games. So we have had 20 of the 24 teams so far play one game. 12 of those 20 teams had four power play opportunities or more in their game. That's a lot. That's a lot for the playoffs. Now, some teams did really well with those power play opportunities. I mean, both Chicago and Edmonton scored three power play goals. There were a handful of teams that scored two power play goals. And I wonder, Greg, if some of this is a function of what we have talked about in the weeks leading up to the real games beginning, which is if your system play is not sharp, you may be out of position a little bit. And being out of position a little bit might lead to scoring chances against, but it also could lead to some penalties if you have to use your stick to try and make up for positioning that isn't sound and solid. And I haven't watched every minute of every game to know if that's the case, but I'm curious to see if this continues in the short term, and I don't expect it to continue in the long term, I mean, you think about last year, the Lightning and Blue Jackets in that first round series, the Blue Jackets had 10 power play chances total in the four games. The Lightning had only nine. Remember, we were talking about they're calling the games differently. In the first weekend, I did not see that. I saw a lot of power play opportunities, not across the board completely, but but generally speaking, teams had their chances to, to do damage on special teams. And I think that's something that John Cooper and his staff, they have talked about. They talked about this before the season began, about not taking as many penalties, being structured, being disciplined. And Dave, you've got to think that is a point of emphasis right now. You mentioned the the Montreal-Pittsburgh game, and that was interesting because Pittsburgh had a five-on-three in that game for almost a full two minutes, couldn't score. There was also two penalty shots, one (laughs) in overtime, which was remarkable. I cannot believe and, Druin. I mean, it was a little bad luck. He tried to go upstairs yes. on his backhand, and the puck 
kind of rolled off a stick. But we've seen Druin yeah. playing with the Lightning do very well in I thought that was shootouts. Game. Yeah, I thought that was going to be the game because Murray's iffy on the breakaways and shootouts. Druin, we know, is extremely talented. And, of course, what does he do? He doesn't even get a shot on net. And many Lightning fans, I'm sure, internally or externally were cheering uh, very much. But I also took away from that game, you know, it was funny, Dave, on Friday, we had talked about goaltending and what does that mean for teams? And that actually, if you take a look at the playoffs and the Stanley Cup champs over the last few years, specifically post-lockout, those goaltenders, while they might not be Hall of Famers, most of them, they all got hot at the right time. And look, it's one game. I don't want to be hyperbolic in my assertions here. But Carey Price was the difference. Carey Price was really good. And I feel like Carey Price... It might be because his teams haven't been that great. I feel like his reputation, in my mind, the way I look at him, isn't as great as other people who see him every day because of the team he plays with. In other words, Carey Price is supposed to be the best goaltender in the planet on in the world. But what it ha- what has it done for that franchise over the years? I mean, it hasn't done much. But I thought at least in Game 1 against the Pittsburgh Penguins, Carey Price was amazing. The question becomes, can he do that in a best of five? He might. And maybe the other question is, what will Matt Murray look like? Who didn't play poorly, what is he going to look like? Because I believe he has lost his last seven postseason games. A game one result can have a carryover effect, which we certainly saw last year again in that Lightning Columbus series. So... I think there were some games that were lower scoring and they were lower scoring because at least one team, if not both, did defend really well. Columbus comes to the top of the list for me and I didn't watch that whole game, but I watched the third period and once they got a one nothing lead, that game might as well have been 8 nothing. Like They just locked it down. Now, earlier in the game, I guess Corpusalo did have to make some some tough saves and you would expect that over the course of a 60-minute game. There were other games that were lower scoring, let's say, that were lower scoring because the goalie erased a lot of chances. And I think the Pittsburgh-Montreal game is one of those games. Pittsburgh came out flying at the start of that game. And Price was really important to keep that game scoreless. And then Montreal, of course, ended up scoring in the first period and going up. And he held the Penguins to only two goals. The Penguins were one of four teams to have seven power play opportunities in the playoffs so far. And they scored a power play goal, but they left a number of opportunities on the table. So what I'm saying is that the Canadians are feeling good about stealing game one, if that's the right way of putting it, or at least beating Pittsburgh, which a lot of people didn't think that they would be able to do in even one of the games. What will happen in game two now? Because I got to be honest, Greg, toward the end of that game, it was less price and more how well Montreal was playing in front of him. I thought Montreal got better defensively as the game progressed and as the outcome became more and more in doubt. Like you get into the third period, it's still tied. They get through the five on three. They get through the penalty shot. I mean, yeah. True, they gave up a breakaway to Connor Sherry, but I thought that they defended better as the game went on. Let's see what happens in game two. Pittsburgh is going to need a win. I saw the stat today that, now, we haven't had best of five series in the NHL since 1986, but they have records going back prior to 1986 or prior to 1987. Teams that have gone up 2-0 in a best of five in the history of the NHL are 55-1. and So I know it's a different era. I know we're in a very unusual situation. And also in those days, I think the the disparity between teams was greater. So you would have a dominant team. They would go up 2-0. They would probably win the series. But I'm curious to see how much the Canadians get, and not just the Canadians, any team that won game one, particularly if it was an upset or a lower seed like Chicago or Arizona, how much that makes them puff out their chest and play bigger and play better. And we won't have the answer until game two is played, certainly. But I do think that there were some games that were low scoring because the teams defended really well 
in front of their goalie, and there were other games that were lower scoring because the goalie had an outsized role in limiting chances against. Bobrovsky comes to mind. Like, the Islanders won that game narrowly, right? Two to one. Mm -hmm. They could have scored six or seven goals. Bobrovsky was great in that game for Florida, which Florida will feel good about that their goalie played well. They need to play better in front of him, particularly in the first half of that game. So I don't know that that's going to continue throughout, but that was kind of the trend I saw in some of the games that were, were lower scoring, that some of it was system play. Columbus played really well defensively. The Islanders played really well defensively. Winnipeg had some horrible injury luck, which we can get into, but I thought Calgary played really well defensively. They held the Jets to, to under 20 shots in yep. that game. But then there were other games in which you say, man, that goalie – was outstanding and that's why that team only scored say two goals well the man that's going to be calling the game for the caps john walton will ask him what he thought of the games over the weekend and what to expect from the caps maybe today at four o'clock of course pregame will be at 3 30 he's dave michigan i am greg Linelli. it's power lunch on lightning power play this is power lunch exclusively on lightning power play on the iheart radio app all right, glad you're with us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Greg Linelli along with Dave Mishkin. Steve Versnick is producing again. Our pregame will start at 3.30 and the puck dropping a little bit after 4 o'clock. Bolts and caps should be a good one. Round robin play begins today for both teams. And joining us right now, so glad he has taken the time to talk hockey with us. The radio voice of the caps. Let's welcome into the program John Walton. John, first off, great to be with you and... How much hockey did you take in over the last couple of days? And what were your first impressions of, of what you saw and, and what the play was like? Well, Greg, first of all, great to be with you. And the play was, I, I thought, pretty inspired, given the fact that it's like something we've never seen before. Uh, Columbus, Minnesota, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Columbus, Toronto was uh, pretty enjoyable to watch. Uh, Minnesota, I, I was pleasantly surprised by Uh you know, given uh, the ties that Dean Evason has to Washington and replacing Bruce Boudreau with another guy who has obvious ties to Washington, uh, certainly uh, interested in Dino's success there. And I thought Minnesota came out really well. So uh, it certainly seems like in the top four, and maybe it should get the attention of both the folks in Central Florida and the District of Columbia, looks like the Flyers did pretty well uh, in dispatching the Bruins. So uh, the round robin play getting started and keeping an eye on that. And of course, uh, the main event, as far as uh, both teams here are concerned, or what happens at four o'clock today. So uh, it is nice to have hockey, even though it is almost 100 degrees. But uh, at the same time, uh, we've waited so long for this. It's just nice to be back. John, these round robin games are really unique because it's clear for the teams that are going into the best of five, do or die. They have to press the gas to the floor right off the bat. The round robin is different, and we've heard different messages come from different teams. The Lightning have said very consistently that they are using these round robin games. They want to use these round robin games to get ready for game one of the playoffs and try and treat them with a playoff-like intensity because they are concerned that they're going to be heading into game one of their first series against a team that has already battle-tested because they've survived a play-in series. I guess you would follow if you're going to play the games that way. You should have success. But they haven't talked a lot about necessarily winning the round-robin games. We heard from the Bruins earlier in the summer, Bruce Cassidy basically said, we don't care where we finish. We just want to get through the round robin healthy. Having said that, he did basically dress his main lineup yesterday. How are the Caps, in your mind, approaching these round robin games, putting more of an emphasis on getting their game in order, staying healthy, winning all three? What do you think? Todd Reardon has said that they're here to win, which, okay, I, I certainly understand that. Uh, seating is still important. I don't believe it is as important in the past because if you're Tampa Bay and you say, hey, you win all three games and you've got top seed, hey, the road to the Stanley Cup final goes through Amelie Arena. Uh, same thing with Capital One Arena in Washington if the Caps win three, but that's not the case. We're talking about 
uh, getting last change in the same environment that you've been playing in. And after the second round, you're going to Edmonton and you're uh, you, if you're in the East and, and getting adjusted to that. So I think it's more along the lines uh, just from the sense here that, you, you know, you want to stay healthy, just like there's a, a Steven Stamkos question in Tampa. There's a John Carlson question here now. Uh, I wouldn't see I, – I don't know if John's going to play today or not, but if he does, I don't think they're going to – they're certainly not going to put their foot to the floor, as you said, because why would you? Uh, you need to be ready for a battle-tested opponent uh, that is one of best of five. Uh, and, you know, there's going to be teams already that you can see in these first few days that if they're going to win the series, now they've got a rally and they're, they're in a position like – uh, Edmonton, for instance, where, you know, hey, we just lost to a 12 seed. And if you're Pittsburgh, hey, we just lost to a 12 seed. So now, it, assuming that Pittsburgh comes back, which, you know, who knows, uh, but obviously they started from behind right away and now they're going to be ready to go and they could very well be a, a, a four seed opponent. So uh, I think it's difficult to gauge. I think the NHL has done the best job that they could possibly do here in trying to manufacture some intensity for the top four. It is a luxury to only have to win four rounds as opposed to five. I don't think that's lost on anybody. I certainly think that's an advantage, but I think there could be potentially when you get to that first round, a little bit of a catch up. And I, I think the, the idea in Washington, at least from what we've heard from the coach is they want to ramp up as quickly as possible to be ready for that. Well, John, give Lightning fans kind of an idea where Washington was maybe before the pause. I know it was so long ago. What were they doing well? What are some things you're going to kind of keep an eye on to see how things play out, whether it's goaltending, whether it's the back end, whether it's the power play, or just personnel and issue? Kind of give us up to date where, where Washington is. It's funny because when you look at the season the Lightning were having and the season that the Capitals were having as a whole, they were almost opposites in the fact that the Bolts don't get off to the best of starts, but were arguably the NHL's best team after January 1, uh, and even going back maybe to December. Uh, the Caps were the best team in the league for the first two months, but quite frankly, weren't playing very well in 2020. And uh, they weren't, the power play wasn't going very well. The defense was very erratic. Braden Holtby's safe percentage for the year is under 90 at 897, although he was better going into the pause. Uh, the Caps had a final road trip before this all ended uh, where they lost two of three. They were absolutely victimized by Mika Zibanejad with a five-goal game at Madison Square Garden, rallied to win in Pittsburgh, which was their only reason, by the way, this game is happening today, because if they had not done that, they would have been fifth, and they would be in the best of five. They lost a shootout game and just a miserable game in Buffalo, and then the pause came. Now, I don't know that any of that matters. I honestly don't think it does, but there are questions. Uh, the acquisition of Ilya Kovalchuk at the deadline was a really good one. It enabled Richard Ponick to move to the fourth line, and certainly Bolts fans familiar with him. Uh, he did not have a real good first half, but he was playing pretty well after moving to play with Nick Down at Garden Hathaway. That's where he's going to be today. And Ilya Kovalchuk provided some nice balance on the right side with Lars Eller and Carl Haglund. The forwards for Washington, top to bottom, from Ovechkin all the way down to Garnet Hathaway, who essentially is your number 12, are really good. Uh, the question, I think, is on defense, and the question is, which Braden Holtby will we see? Is it going to be the one that won the Cup in 2018 and was terrific and was pretty good down the stretch uh, going into the break here? Uh, or is it the one in the first half that struggled a lot? And some of that was due not entirely on his own, but because of the defense a little too. And, uh, you know, we've seen the, the earliest of returns, the only exhibition game uh, against Carolina. Uh, the defense was pretty good. The shot suppression was there. Carolina didn't really do much, uh, despite the team speed that they have. I, I thought it was as good a test as the Caps had hoped for. But, uh, you know, it's probably good that they, you know, that they got, can have some separation from what was going on at the end because they weren't playing that well. And I think the hope is that, look, it's been five months. I mean, you can put that in the rearview mirror pretty easily. You're not even thinking about that now. But uh, there are some questions, I think, for the Caps going into the round robin and certainly round one. The Caps had a significant injury prior to phase four, and your young goaltender, Ilya Samsonov, is not even on the roster. His injury is that significant. I'm just wondering, in the alternate universe where Samsonov is not injured, and is on your team. Do you think it changes anything for Holpe's trajectory? Like, was he slated to be the guy in this playoff run, whether Samsonov is the backup or not? 
I think that the trajectory for Braden would have been the same, but I would couch that a little bit by saying that if Elia was here and healthy and Braden ran into trouble, I think that you would probably potentially go to him quicker than you might Vitek Vanacek, who is, you know, played in Hershey and had a nice year, was an AHL All-Star, but uh, zero games of NHL experience as the backup. So uh, the backup goaltending position definitely takes a hit when you don't have Samsonov here. Ilya kind of personified the cap season in that he could not lose seemingly in the first two, two and a half months. And then I uh, really struggled to find the win column after once you got into 2020 by mid-January, uh, it, it wasn't as good, uh, but still wasn't bad. And certainly the goaltender of the future, maybe as soon as next season, given Braden's contract and being a UFA coming up here when this is all over. So uh, I think they might have gone to him sooner, but it, it's a it's a bit of a dagger. I mean, it, it certainly weakens you at a position that uh, you'd like to have a good one and one A. But at the same time, I, I think it was always going to be Braden's to win or lose. And I think that's obviously the case now. I think it still would have been then, too. John Walton joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Uh, we know their power play, uh, John, is uh, dangerous when it is clicking. We've seen so far through a couple of games or a couple of days here and during this tournament and uh, some teams taking a lot of penalties and going to the power play. You really do feel like special teams, maybe more so now than ever before, is going to be a big deal. And these are two teams that are pretty good on the power play. It'll be interesting to see how disciplined both are, but whose power play really starts to click. Yeah, and I, I think that's a fair question, Greg, as far as the Caps are concerned, because statistically, anyway, over the course of the season, the Caps are in the bottom half of the league, and, and that may surprise some people given the fact that number eight still works here. Uh, but they they weren't as sharp during the season, and they went through some pretty fallow times. And I think one of the keys for the Caps is going to be, especially when you have the personnel that you have, uh, obviously led by Ovechkin, Carlson quarterbacking, Kuznetsov, Oshie. Uh, these are guys that when they are all humming and on the same page, uh, they are pretty tough to beat. They still are overloading power play one. Uh, Jacob Vrana saw some time, and I believe he still will here in the round robin where he had gotten elevated to try and shake things up. And Jake is going to be just a dynamic NHL player. Uh, and he certainly fits in pretty well there and, and a legitimate top six forward now. But I, I think that's going to be one of the keys. Uh, the penalty kill for the Caps has been very good. Uh, they finished sixth in the league this year, uh, much improved over the year before. So I think when it comes to special teams, that's kind of the baseline that they're starting from. But I, I'm in agreement, especially when you're playing a team like Tampa Bay that has the offensive weapons that they do. Uh, you better take advantage of your opportunities when they're given. And, you know, thinking of the Pittsburgh-Montreal game, they didn't take advantage of those opportunities despite, despite you know, Crosby and Malkin and getting Gensel back. And they couldn't find a way to get it past Carey Price and you end up losing game one. Uh, you know, when you have those opportunities, uh, you know, that's going to be definitely one of the keys for Washington. Uh, you can't be sub 20 percent uh, like they were during the regular season. You're going to have to put your best foot forward there. John, you had mentioned Kovalchuk, who arrived at the deadline. The Caps also brought in Brendan Dillon from San Jose to bolster the defense. How did those two guys acclimate both before the pause and the handful of games they had? And as much as you can tell, since we resumed through the training camp and the exhibition game. I, pretty well. Uh, Brendan Dillon, uh, an unbelievable guy. Uh, loves to hit. And, you know, just looking at the roster, I mean, on paper, the Caps, one of the the, the toughest teams in the league in terms of, of hits during the course of the year. I, I think right before the pause for the top 12 after the Dillon trade, and Brendan was one of them, uh, called Washington home. So there are certainly hitting that goes on with this team. Uh, and I think to be successful, I think we saw, you know, when the, when the Caps play their physical game and, and are landing hits, uh, that's when they're at their best. And I think that's also another big key for, you know, not just this game today, but the round robin moving forward and whoever the Caps play in round one. Uh, Ilya Kovalchuk is not the guy that used to, uh, you know, take out the lightning and the Caps in the old Southeast Division days and not by a long shot, but he is still an effective player. He's in terrific shape. 
Uh, he's thrilled to be here uh, and a chance to play with Alex Ovechkin. They've known each other since they were kids, and you know they finally get a chance to play together at the NHL level. Alex is excited about that. Elias is excited about that. Uh, you know the the Russian five here, as we have it, uh, certainly excited about that. Uh, so I mean, I think his motivation is extremely high. He's got a chance to win uh, with a team that just got it done in 2018, and. Uh, you know, I, I think fitting in on that line with Eller and Haglin has made this team a lot better. One of the things going into the pause that they were struggling with was bottom six production. That was ticking up uh, as well as it had been going all season, and Kovalchuk had a lot to do with that. Uh, Dylan it certainly improves the defense. Uh, he's going to be playing with Dmitry Orlov today, uh, assuming that John Carlson is good to go. He'll be playing with Michael Kempney. Uh, the third pair is... Nick Jensen and Jonas Siegenthaler. Jensen had a pretty uneven season, but was playing some of his best hockey at the end. So I think that's, from a Caps perspective, what they're hoping will continue on. And Siegenthaler was was pretty good in the first round against Carolina last year. So uh, there there's a lot of reason for optimism, but now they need to go out and do it. Brendan Dillon certainly made them better. I think both acquisitions uh, fit in pretty nicely. John, how would you handle players who maybe banged up during this round robin we know what coaches may or may not do but if you were in charge and we've heard boston you know before the round robin they talked about possibly resting some of their quote-unquote veterans steven stamkos you know i think they want to get him into at least a game and we'll see how that plays out but especially teams that have been there done that even with the long layoff and the fact that you want to get the rust off of some of these players do you get the sense that it's more about getting healthy than making sure, let's put it this way, John Carlson gets three games in this round-robin tournament. I mean, I think he certainly could, but I think if there's any doubt, I mean, this is just my opinion, but I mean, if you have, if there's anything nagging that you have a chance, and with the games that spread out for Washington, first round-robin today, don't play again until Thursday when you've got the Flyers, and then not until Sunday after that. So you've got potentially a week and a half of rest here uh, where if you got one game just to get them back in, maybe you look to that Boston game uh, in the final tune-up the same way you would look at, at a preseason tune-up, the last one before the regular season that you'd want to get them in. I wouldn't feel a whole lot of urgency to play John Carlson unless he was, if he, if he can't aggravate it anymore and it's something he can work through and continue to work on timing, then sure. But I think for any team, I, I Stamkos for sure, and anybody with Boston, anybody with Philadelphia too, I, I don't know that I would, uh, you know, it, it would be nice to win. It would be nice to be the number one overall seed. If the worst case scenario is you're the four, you're still doing all right. And I'd rather have all of my pieces on the board uh, and able to go come that first series. And keep in mind, I mean, if you're playing that your opponent will have just done, they do have to play everybody, and guys do get banged up. And physically, you should be in a better position when this starts. It would certainly enhance your chances of winning that first series. And as we all know, if you win the first one, you got a shot. I mean, if you're down to eight teams to go, uh, you certainly, especially in this year where anything can happen now, uh, I would want to find my best way to round two and then take my chances. John, before we let you go, you've had a chance to look at other sports leagues and how they're trying to get off the ground and you know baseball certainly uh, at times struggling and and high number of positive tests and then you take a look at the NHL and what they've been able to do do you feel like uh, the NHL is is getting it right I know sometimes it's, it's hard to compare apples to oranges different sports different players I understand that but I know there was a lot of trepidation uh, that some athletes had before the season picked up again and and what to expect but it seems like the NHL nailed it so far and when you kind of see what's going on around the other sports leagues, have you had a chance to kind of take a step back and, and see what's been working and what hasn't? I, I, I have Greg. And I got to tell you, I, I think that that Gary Bettman and Bill Daly and the NHL and, and Donald fear too, for that matter. And the NHLPA, I think putting differences aside, getting labor peace, figuring out the best way forward. The cases in Canada are not what they are in the United States. I don't know that the NHL could have done this any better. And aesthetically on television, look, it doesn't have the same jump to me as a fan when you don't have the energy of walking into a building and you've got, you know, as a Washington-Pittsburgh series where you walk into Pittsburgh, you know you're 
on the wrong side of what they think and, and vice versa when they come to Washington. It is missing that, obviously. But I think beyond that, I think they've done an incredible job. And certainly, I'm a baseball fan. I, I'm a Twins fan. I grew up in Minnesota. Uh, you know, the, the Nats and doing what they did and captivating a city here last October. But baseball is not getting this right. I, I just, there, there's so many things. Not being in a bubble, not, uh, you know, having your players out and doing what, at least in some teams, seems to be normal behavior. We're not in a society right now where we can behave normally, unfortunately. And that is a really tough thing for every person listening to deal with in, in your daily life. But, I, you know, I mean, what's gone on with, you know, some of these teams, uh, you know, the Marlins most notably, but they're not the only ones. Uh, this is a tough thing to crack. And for the NFL, it's going to be tough. I, I think the NBA and the NHL are doing the best that they absolutely can under the circumstances. And I think both are going to be able to get through this. Certainly the NHL with the best possibility, given the fact they're in Canada and, and cases are much lower there, uh, is seemingly a very, very good thing. And the fact that they've made the transition to the hub cities and the bubbles and, and things have been good. I, I'm really proud uh, to be associated with the NHL right now because I, I think that they've done as good a job with a pretty bad hand, let's be honest. You're, you've had to move heaven and earth to make this happen, and I, I think it's just been terrific the way they've handled it. When do we see fans in the stands? That's the next question, John, I think for a lot of people. Yeah, and we need them. I mean, our game draws revenue, uh, more revenue than most uh, of the of the big four from fans. Uh, and listen, whether it's Annalee Arena or whether it's Capital One Arena all around the league, uh, you know, I mean, going into Washington and broadcasting, we're doing the games from the press box in the arena here. And I got to tell you, it's mentally tough. I mean, when you're looking out and you see an empty building, it's like you feel like you're going to work until you get upstairs. It's like a Stephen King novel walking around. It's like we're here and no one else is. This doesn't feel right. Uh, but, you know, we do what we do. And, you know, we all can only hope that that day comes soon. John, have a great call today. We'll do it again soon. And uh, be safe out there. Thanks, John. All right, Greg, Mish, great to chat with you. All right, John Walton joining us here on the show. And, Dave, always great to catch up with John. Different perspective there. And, look, every team, I think, has some concerns, some issues coming into play. And I think for the Capitals, in addition to what John talked about when it came to the power play and, and how they'll, you know, perform, we talked about it on Friday, goaltending. You know, as far as, a, as accomplished as Braden Holpe is, there are, you know, maybe some questions as to what type of Holpe or what type of performance are you going to get from the Stanley Cup winning goaltender? Well, and they lost their safety net, and that was the yes. point that John was making about Sam Sonov. Now, I don't know that it would have necessarily played out Rosalie had Holpe struggled. They had to pull him and put in the young kid. Who knows what you're going to get? Samsonov has zero games of NHL playoff experience, but he played very well in the backup role this year. His numbers across the board were better than Holpe's, although as John referenced, as the team started to struggle into February and early March, Samsonov did as well. I guess we'll find out. I mean, usually when goalies win a Stanley Cup and play an important role in that Cup win, as Holtby did in 2018, those questions tend to quiet down. So maybe it's a little surprising that we're still hearing them. Was he the reason why the Capitals lost to Carolina last year in the first round? I'm not convinced that it was all on him. The Caps had leads of 2-0 and 3-2 in that series and a 2-0 lead in Game 7 on home ice. But I guess we'll find out. And to the extent that you're only as good as your last game and your last performance, I guess we're going to see how that plays out. The other part of this that is very interesting is how significant is this injury to Samsonov? Because I think the conventional wisdom, Greg, was that Holpe as – a pending UFA was going to be elsewhere next year. And Samsonov, who is a former first-round pick, a couple of years of experience pro hockey-wise and had the good year this year, was going to take over as their main guy next year. Not completely dissimilar to the Vasilevsky-Bishop 
situation the lighting had a few years ago. But he's younger. He's a prodigy. He's played very well in the time he's had. Talking about Samsonov, it's his turn, right? And he's cheaper, too, because he's in his entry-level deal. But maybe things change now. Who knows? Maybe Holpe is actually playing for the opportunity to stay on the Capitals if he has a whale of a playoff. We'll have to see how all of that kind of unfolds. But for the Lightning, I don't think they can worry about who's in the other team's net and how well that guy is playing or not playing. They have to worry about their game, particularly in this round robin where they're putting such an emphasis on getting their game in order, win or lose, heading into the first round of the playoffs. We'll talk more about the game coming up this afternoon at 4 o'clock. Again, pregame is at 3.30. What are you anticipating when it comes to the Lightning and their game against the Washington Capitals? Do you expect it to be a pretty physical game as well? These two teams, no doubt, don't like each other. And we'll see how that plays out coming up in just a little bit. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linnelli. It's the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Thanks again to John Walton here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Bolts and caps coming up at 4 o'clock. Pre-games at 3.30. You can listen to all that action starting at 3.30. I am Greg Linnelli along with Dave Michigan. Dave and Phil will have the call, but I'll be checking in with Brian Burns throughout the pregame. Also, Kaylee Chelios. You'll hear from John Cooper, Victor Hedman, and some other players as well. And Dave, before we get into maybe the game specifically today and some of the other games from this past weekend, I guess a couple of uh, news items that we should get to when it comes to the Lightning. It does not appear that Steven Stamkos will be in the lineup today. That's not a surprise, but it does appear that Victor Hedman, who practiced over the weekend both days, is ready to go, and who knows who he's going to play with. I'm not sure it really matters, per se, in this first game, but that's something that uh, I think a lot of Lightning fans and the coaching staff were eager to see, and it does appear that, assuming all things go well here um, during the the warm-up, that Victor Hedman will be in the lineup. Hedman arrived after the team had practiced on Friday, so he did not have a practice with the team in Toronto until Saturday. The game, obviously, is today. So I think the question was going to be, would two practices with the team be enough? But the thing to remember is it's not like he wasn't working out. It's not like he was coming back from an injury. He was on the ice every day when he was in Tampa and the team was in Toronto. He was working out with Mark Lambert, the Lightning strength coach. He maintained his testing every day so it's not like he had that contingency if you leave the bubble and come back you have to have leave the bubble with a legitimate excuse if you leave the bubble without a legitimate excuse you're going to need a lot more than four positive tests but like Lars Eller for example on Washington his wife is expecting so he is going to be given permission to leave the bubble when he comes back at least according to the document he's going to have to have four consecutive negative tests before he can kind of resume action and rejoin his team and his teammates. Hedman never really left the bubble. He just extended phase three and he was tested every day. So he's able to come in. He doesn't have to wait the four days. They obviously felt really good about his practice on Saturday and Sunday. So yeah, I I think he's going to be in and we'll see if he plays with Bogosian, who has really had a strong camp, Greg. We've talked about this. He has... I don't know if he's elevated his position in terms of the depth chart, but he's certainly going to get a really good look, I think, in these round-robin games with an opportunity to be playing alongside Hedy, if that's how they want to work the D pairings, into game one of the playoffs. But we still have the three round-robin games to the extent that this will be a competition for that spot alongside Hedman as his defense partner. Bogosian has made a very strong case for himself. And we'll see if he continues to do so in these round-robin games. I want to ask you this, because I I guess it it differs with each player. Victor Hedman is by far their best defenseman, so maybe having a permanent partner isn't as big a deal than some. But then again, 
You look at other teams, sometimes the best defenseman likes to have that nice security blanket, Dave, playing with them for every single game. We've seen that with the other defense pairings for Tampa Bay. It's McDonough and Chernak, Shattenkirk, and Sergachev. Are you curious as to why maybe Hedman hasn't been able to find that permanent partner since Anton Strauman? Now, maybe the easy answer to that is Strauman has been, or was when he was playing at his best, the perfect partner and compliment to Victor Hedman, and you don't find Anton Strauman's all the time in the National Hockey League. Point taken, I understand that. But we did see great chemistry with Jan Ruta. Yep. Bogosian is certainly trying to figure that out with him. But even before all of this happened in training camp, I remember one of the questions we would ask on the show, you know, how important was it to find somebody to play with Hedman the whole time? Because if anything, uh, you wonder if Hedman's game would elevate a little bit more if he knew who his partner was and if he was playing with the same guy night in and night out. I understand, again, circumstances dictate it, injuries dictate it. You can't find Anton Strauman's all the time everywhere on NHL rosters understood. But I always found it somewhat interesting that your best defenseman has had to kind of rotate, with success, by the way, with other defense partners as opposed to what we've seen on the second and third pairings invariably you're going to be playing with different guys because you're going to have injuries. You're going to have experimentation. If your team is scuffling a little bit, they may switch things up. So let's remember, I mean, Hedman has played with Shattenkirk. He has played with Sergachev. He certainly played with Ruda. He's played with Bogosian. I want to say there may have been a game or a portion of a game where he played with Chernak when McDonough was out in January. So I don't think it matters so much to a player like Victor Hedman, who is elite, obviously, a four-time Norris Trophy finalist, four times in a row now, including this year. He can play with anyone, but it's this it's the matchup that the coaches are looking for. Maybe who can play best with Victor is maybe the way to frame it, not who can Victor play with the best. But I think he's capable of playing with different partners, and I am curious to see, maybe less so in the round robin, but when we get into the playoffs, let's say it's Bogosian, or Ruda, for that matter, who is starting the game as Hedman's partner. You are going to do whatever you need to to win a particular game in the playoffs. So understanding that Hedman is going to be playing power play and he's certainly going to be playing penalty kill, although I think both Ruda and Bogosian would also be playing penalty kill. Hedman is going to have more minutes than his partner. But if we take out the special teams and just say five on five minutes, let's say Victor Hedman plays 20 to 21 minutes five on five in a normal game. Does that mean Bogosian is also going to be playing 20 to 21 minutes five on five? Or are there situations where Hedman is going to be put out there more often because he's Victor Hedman? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see how the ice time numbers look after we get into some of these playoff games. But the reality is, if in order to win a playoff game, you have to play Victor Hedman 29 minutes, you're going to do that, right? (laughs) And it may mean that he's going to play with different guys. You may have a certain matchup if you are matching against the other team's top line or, or whatever whatever the matchup is that you want with Hedman out there, maybe you're going to be alternating partners for him. The coaches have the wherewithal to do that. They have the prerogative to do that. We just don't know how it's going to unfold. Now, if the Lightning get into game one of the playoffs and knock on wood, it's like the exhibition, not the way the game was played, but the way the score unfolds, and they're up 4 nothing going into the third – Fine. You know, you just roll your defense pairings and and everybody's minutes are probably more comparable. But if you're in a tight game or you're having to play catch up or even if you're up by a goal and you need Victor Hedman out there as much as possible, that's where he's going to be because it's the playoffs. And I'm interested to see if we see at the end of the games, Victor Hedman playing over 25 minutes. John Cooper was asked that question yesterday. I believe it was Brian Burns in terms of, hey, look. You know, guys haven't played a ton, obviously, over the last four and a half months. 
but uh, are you more inclined to play guys a little bit more because of circumstance. I'm obviously paraphrasing there. We'd have to get the, the right. direct quote. And his answer was different than what we have just talked about. It I, was. <laughs> I find it very hard to believe that if Tampa Bay is protect, protecting a 2-1 lead with about 10 minutes to go in the third period, particularly in a best-of-seven series, that Victor Hedman's not going to be out there for 80% of that time. And then at the end of the game, we're looking at the score sheet, Dave, and he's playing between 28 and 30 minutes. Yeah, and there have been games during the regular season. They're infrequent, but there have been games in which Hedman has played upwards of 30 minutes, 28, 29, 30. Over the course of a long regular season, that is not something the Lightning want to do. They don't want to have to play Hedman 28, 29, 30 minutes every game. There are guys around the league who do it, though. I mean, you can look around the ice time leaders. Traditionally, guys like Ryan Suter, for example, is always up among the the ice time leaders in Minnesota. Tends to play him a lot. Hedman can handle it. In fact, he's even said he likes playing more. So I think John Cooper was talking about, in the context of a 60-minute game, you're not going to look to play guys half the game going into the game. But I also think that if you're in the heat of battle, and we've seen this in the past, if you need to play Hedman, and we'll use him as an example, because you're not going to play everybody up and down your roster more minutes than what they are accustomed to playing. But Hedman is a guy that you can push those minutes up with because he's such a great skater, he's such a great athlete, and he's shown that he can handle it. And he's very valuable to you. You may need him. So right. at the end of at the end of a game, we'll go and look at the ice time and and see if that's the case. But I think kind of speaking in a vacuum, what Cooper was getting at was you don't want to go into a game saying, Well, we've got Victor Hedman, let's plan on playing him thirty minutes. That would not necessarily be the plan, but if the situation calls for it, you you're going to do it. Uh, and just a segue here, I remember we were in Winnipeg a couple of years ago, and I was looking at the ice time yeah. for the Jets, and this is like middle of the regular season. This is not this year. It might have been the year before. And I noted that Mark Shifley's ice time was among the league leaders among forwards, and he played a lot of power play, and he played a lot of penalty kill. And... I asked Paul Maurice in the morning press conference, kind of, is this by design? Like, is he the sort of guy that you want to play this much? Or is it more of a function of you're in a game and I need Shifley? <laughs> and he said, I want to get his minutes down. He's like, but when you're in a game and I know he's there, mm -hmm. I'm inclined to use him. And I think that's the reality of being in the heat of intense action on the bench. <laughs> when you have a weapon, you want to use that weapon. And it's also a good segue. I mean, what horrible luck for Shifley. And oh. what an important player for Winnipeg. I mean, they just had the worst potential outcome for game one of a series. They lose Shifley. They lose line A. They lose the game. Uh, hopefully, neither injury is overly serious, but it certainly didn't look good for Shifley. But I brought that anecdote up to illustrate that Sometimes the best laid plans don't always come to pass, right? Yeah, you're right. And a lot of times how you adjust to those circumstances is who advances. Uh, getting back to Shifley, Dave, what did you make of the hits? Because that was a lot of the talk when it came to Matthew Kachuk. Paul Maurice obviously was fired up. And why wouldn't you? That's arguably his best player. And I think because of Kachuk's reputation, the reaction on social media, and again, take that for what it is, was pretty brutal. But when you take the emotions out of it, did you have a big problem with the hit? In this instance, Greg, and I don't know how you feel about it, I have to defer to people who have talked about this, who have played the game and been in that situation. 
I have never been in the situation of closing on a guy who skates into my zone and curls up toward the blue line and tried to finish my check on him. So I don't know how likely it is for Kachuk to lift his skate up in that instance. But I've heard enough commentary from former players who have been in that exact situation to state this, which is what they have said. Essentially, it was a bit reckless, but it wasn't intentional or dirty. It was more reckless and unfortunate than dirty and intentional, which Maurice feels differently. And certainly, look, that's his guy. (laughs) I just told you that story about how valuable Mark Shifley is to the Winnipeg Jets. And it's a horrible injury. It looked horrible. I shouldn't say it's a horrible injury, but clearly Paul Maurice felt very strongly about it and and said what was on his mind and 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 spoke his piece and and spoke from the heart. I think he actually believes that. But I have no personal experience on which to draw. So I have to listen to the people who have been in that situation and what they said was sure. it was more reckless and unfortunate than dirty and intentional yeah i agree with that and again i think that's kind of where reputations though make it difficult for a guy like kachuk who has had his history of towing the line and maybe going over it where he's going to get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to scenarios like that dave but i think you just hope that players it's the one drawback i think we've seen over the last handful of years i know phil's real down on what the players do post whistle and I'm with them on that. I, I think it's just, it, it's become too common in the game today where even if somebody skates near your goaltender, there needs to be pushing and shoving. But I do really believe, and I'm not saying this is what happened necessarily with Kachuk and, and Shifley, that the lack of respect the players sometimes show one another when it comes to borderline hits or hits from behind has been astonishing to me to watch over the last few years. And you hope that with this break in action, we don't see more of that because guys obviously are rusty. They have to get used to not only skating and and getting the puck on their stick and shooting, but for a lot of these guys, Dave, too, it's the timing of a check. It's knowing when to go in and be physical. And that's as big of a skill as... You know, a guy going through the neutral zone with speed with a puck on his blade. It's an important part of the game. But you just worry that, you know, with all of that time off and not a lot of hitting going on in training camp, that we don't see more borderline hits than we're used to seeing. Because I really feel like if there's one thing that we can try and take out of the game, it would be those borderline hits that just I think we see too many of them. And I, I feel like it's become a big problem. We've seen them in the playoffs, too. Yeah. I mean, if you recall, one of the reasons why they put that rule in this year that officials can review major penalties. Now, it's not to make a minor penalty a major, but they could rescind a major and make it a minor, or they could make it zero. Like, if it's a high stick, and it's a high stick, but they actually go back and look at it, and they see that it was – friendly fire, so to speak, like it was the teammate stick that got him. They can, they can rescind that like a five minute major for high sticking might go to zero or a five minute major for boarding might go to a two minute minor. And in fact, we saw that in one of the games that occurred over the weekend. And I'm trying to remember which one, but we had, we had a review where a major penalty was reduced to a minor penalty. And again, I'm trying to remember which game, and I can't remember which one. But that is that is tied to the fact that we do have these hits, whether it's in the sure. regular season or in the playoffs. What struck me, and I'll segue here a little bit back to where we started, which you know we, we began the show talking about takeaways from the weekend. Yes. The, the borderline hits, if you will, as a separate topic. And I don't know that we had a lot of those necessarily over the weekend. We did see some pushing and shoving two things that jumped out at me related to that physical play with fights included. Now it used to be that you would see fighting all the time in the playoffs. It's rare now or more rare than it used to be back 
certainly in the 70s and the 80s. But first period, Carolina Rangers, very first game out of the box, a fight. I think Minnesota-Vancouver had a fight in the first period. The Calgary-Winnipeg game had a fight, which was tied to the Shifley injury, and you can understand that. But anyone who felt that games played with no fans in the seats would affect the temperature of the game in terms of emotions, not talking about the actual temperature in the arena, Yeah, like that was not the case. Tempers were running high. And intensity was super high. So that was one, which is kind of tied to this pushing and shoving, but we saw it as it related to actual fisticuffs with with fighting majors. And the other were some injuries already. So we talked about Shifley. We did not talk about Michael Roffle. He had a great game for the yeah. Flyers. Scored a goal. That line was, was really dangerous for Philadelphia. Nate Thompson is the center on that line. He scored a goal where Raffle had an assist, and he goes into the boards. Late third period, the game is essentially over. He can't put any weight on his leg. I mean, it's hard to speculate exactly what what his problem is, and we're not going to get any information about it. But already we're seeing significant players getting taken out of the lineup due to injury, or we don't know that Raffle is necessarily out, but Let's just put it this way. How he looked coming off the ice, I would be surprised if he plays in the Flyers' next round robin game, even if he's okay, right? Like, they may yeah. give him time to to get ready. And that is a function of when you play the game, there is a risk of injury. So we saw physical play, we saw fighting, and we saw injuries in the first weekend. Dave, before we sign off, what are your expectations today and what are you going to be paying close attention to between the caps and the landing i think for me it will be special teams i think will be very intriguing and can that first line continue their really good chemistry and play against a much better opponent in the washington capitals so my last note i i hit just about every note that i wrote down <laughs> from the weekend, except one. And what I wrote down was Boston-Philly not as intense. Now, I didn't watch the Colorado-St. Louis game, and that was a very dramatic finish. So I don't know. I I guess Colorado, it sounded like, carried play for much of the game. But what I took from the Boston-Philly game, which I watched nearly the whole game because the Lightning are going to be playing both those teams coming up, it was not as intense as the playoff games. And that's exactly what we were talking about and why the yeah. Lightning had some reservations about this format. They're going to have to try and manufacture that. But the reality is, if you're not in a do-or-die elimination series, your intensity level may, in fact, be lower. And you're going to have to manufacture more. Now, having said that, Philly played very well. And... They are a really good defensive team. We touched on that on an earlier show last week. Remember, you were talking about Philadelphia. Like, Vino has come in and really had them playing prior to the pause really good hockey and sound defensive hockey. And I think we saw that again in the round-robin game between the Flyers and Bruins yesterday. So the Flyers were deserving of that victory for sure. So you asked me, what do I expect today? I want to see how much the Lightning can can push the envelope of the intensity quotient. <laughs> now, the fact that they don't like the Caps, and that's a rival of theirs, that may help push that intensity level up. But I'm actually going to go in a slightly different direction from you related to special teams because... While it's true, the Lightning certainly, they would like to get as many power plays as they can. But I'm talking more about penalty kill. Would you like to have some reps on penalty kill? Sure. And the Lightning are seeing in the round robin three really good power plays. Yep. I mean, Washington finished middle of the pack this year, but we know their power play is fantastic. The Bruins and Flyers have really good power play units. I think it's going to be important for the Lightning to try and stay out of the box. I think they need to, and that was one thing Cooper talked about coming out of the exhibition. Lightning took four penalties leading to Florida power plays, including that long five on three. In his mind, that was too many. 
So let's see if the Lightning can play this game today and hold the Capitals, let's say, to three power play chances or less. I just talked about at the beginning of the show, 12 of the 20 teams that have played at least one game, and they've all played one game, but 12 of the 20 teams had four power play opportunities or more. In John Cooper's book, that would be too many. So, yes, they would like to get some reps on special teams, but I think in a perfect scenario, not only do they play well, win the game, bring a high-intensity level, stay healthy, but also get through a game where they are minimizing the number of times they are shorthanded, which was a problem area for them during the regular season still. They were among the league leaders in most times shorthanded when we paused the season back on March 12th. Makes a lot of sense. And again, if you give this Capitals team a lot of power play opportunities, regardless of the layoff, you're asking for trouble. So if that does happen and it's a complete and utter disaster, the Lightning certainly can um, work on that and grow from it because sure. it, it doesn't mean much in the big picture when we start talking about where they're going to be when it comes to playoffs. But Whatever they face, they have to use it as a building block, I think, for the next game, which is going to be so important for all teams right now in this tournament. Dave, great stuff as always. We will talk to you in a couple of hours as we get you set for lightning and caps. It should be a lot of fun. Pre-game starts at 3.30. Look forward to it. Me too, Greg. Talk to you soon. Dave Mishkin there. Steve Ersnick producing. I'm Greg Linelli. Again, 3.30 pre-game. Make sure you keep attuned to lightning power play as we have your most complete lightning coverage right here on Lightning Power Play.